Welcome to the Grove Youth Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Damon, and I'm the youth pastor at Grove Church in Richmond, Virginia. Today we'll be discussing last Sunday's sermon. I hope that you're encouraged by the discussion, and if you'd like to listen to the full sermon, it will be posted on the back half of the podcast following the discussion. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's dialogue. Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, today we're here with Betsy Wood once again. Back by and popular demand. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, my wife, Emily, joining us for the first uh, official like in the studio one. In Obviously, the studio. we talked about Joy uh, <laughs> when we were in Florida, but that was just recorded on my iPad, like some yeah, this amateur. Was so official. I'm yeah. like, ooh. Yeah, she's sweating. She's nervous. Emily's She's not She's vomit nervous. on her sweater already. Oh, no. Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti. <laughs> anyway, spaghetti I hope none of Monday. you understand that reference. Oh, um, God. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, today we're talking about self-control. And uh, as you can see, I took a screenshot of about 15 alarms for somebody who's trying to wake up at 730. Was that relatable? Was that relatable to... Oh, Matt Slater, producer. <laughs> yes. So relatable. He does find it relatable. All I right. thought you were trying to wake up at 6.20. Well, that's the first alarm, but the goal is to wake up at six, uh, 7.30. So you, you know, remember some of the kids were like, it's called the wake up process. <laughs> so you have to wake up every five minutes. And then after an hour and 10 minutes of that, you'll be able to wake up. So... I don't like doing that because I'll fall asleep for five minutes and then I'll have this amazing five-minute dream and then it just ends and you're like, wait a minute. I know. Have you ever been able to fall asleep and get back into the dream like before it goes away? No. Uh, No. Yeah. There's been some times. That's like next level. Yeah. There's been (laughs) some times when I'm like, no, 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 no. Roll over and you like (laughs) close your eyes as hard as I can. And I was able to like continue the dream. Uh but it never picks up at the exciting part that it ends with. I don't know why our brains do that. Why can't anything super (laughs) epic happen in the dream, you know? Never. Uh, So anyway, the reason I brought up the alarms is because uh, just coming out of college a couple years ago, I definitely know that these kids who had their parents there to wake them up, whether, you know, turn off the fan, take your blanket off of you, bucket of water dumped on you while you're sleeping. That's the way to do uh, it. I mean, it's effective for sure. It's yes. mean, but effective. No, it's not. Oh, okay. Uh, just let it be Let it be known that I'm not sure how Betsy's going to do <laughs> as a mom <laughs> if, if she doesn't think that that's me. Uh, but yeah, I, I just know some kids whose parents would wake them up. They'd do like their whole morning routine for them, and then they'd get off into college and... Like they'd have to learn how to wake up on their own. And so silly things like 15 alarms to start your wake-up process would occur. And that's just... <laughs> your wake-up call. Yeah. Ah, I mean... Ah. Right. <laughs> yeah. As, a, as a roommate, it's terrible. It's just it's so bad. It's so inconsiderate to have all of those alarms. And you know what? You do it one time and your roommates make sure you know that that's not appropriate or they just beat you 
<laughs> and then you won't do it anymore. So seniors, just learn how to do with one alarm, all right? Uh, so anyway, the the reason I started off with that is just to demonstrate how as you get older and you get more independent, you got to have some more self-control, right? And that's obviously a silly example, waking up. Um, it's not silly. It starts your whole entire day. Whoa. That's how you begin with self-control. Wow. True. You know what? You begin the I, morning. I with take it the back. Yeah, that is fruit of the spirit of self-control. Th- you know what? That is not a that is not a small or trivial example. No, that is profound. Thank you, Betsy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, if you don't start the day with self-control, how are you going to get self-control throughout the day, right? I mean, come on, man. So, um, yeah, but I mean, waking up, yeah, sure, that requires self-control. But then, as we as we kind of get into the actual definition of self-control, it's the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. BDAG. And so, yep, yep, from, from BDAG. So, <laughs> um, the obviously, the one that is implemented when we're talking about waking up is the impulse. You know, give me the f- five more minutes. It's your natural, <laughs> like, desire, right? Um, Betsy, d- where do you go to school? I homeschooled, so... Home? Yeah, home. Yeah, okay. Yeah, don't <laughs> yeah. give us your address. We don't need that. I don't know. <laughs> it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, with school and um, just life in general at your age, friends, you have a job? I do. Yeah, so there's lots of situations where you have emotions, impulses, desires, and they come up like all the time. How do you feel like you do handling, handling specifically the ones that you shouldn't act on? How do you feel like you do? Very well. Yeah? Yes. So you, you think you got a good amount of self-control? I think I do, yes. Good. I do. Cool. Well, we have a surprise guest, your mom. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be so funny. You're like, sit down. Tell us about how you think I you're I bet about. she'd say that. Yeah, I think you she would say that too. Yeah. Very, I'm a very practical person. So, I don't get upset easily. So I that's good. I guess I wouldn't have any other desires to yell or scream at someone. Sure, that's good. I mean, I can, I can. I was just kidding. I can tell you from our experience hanging with you, you you keep it together. I mean, I don't know what's going on (laughs) in your head, (laughs) but you you see, yeah, like a ping ping pong ball (laughs) (laughs) going off of each idea. But you're you're collected on the outside. What's on the inside can stay in the inside. It's <laughs> um, my main goal in life. How do you how do you feel like you do with self control in general, keeping your emotions and impulses, desires in check? I think I do. A, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you could answer that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do a pretty good job. I think, in, you know, in general, self control is a very can be a very hard thing. I feel like even though we're pretty good at it there's a lot of people in us at times where we're not very good at it mm-hmm. and you know we get emotional we get impulsive we have certain desires and i think at times it can be a struggle for you know everyone in a way cuz mm-hmm. it is hard it's, it's it's i think we're you know we're pretty good but yeah it's definitely hard to have self control sometimes so yeah. Especially when you're, like, really angry at something or someone. Okay, yeah, that that was the next question That's I was going to ask. Yeah, I don't know. I just think of that kind of example. And 
having to keep your emotions like in check and not saying what you really want to say yeah. or you know act i don't know yeah so. that that was the question i was going to ask that either one of you could answer what what do you think would be like the perfect storm or what are some circumstances where self-control becomes the hardest to exercise and so i think that's a great example anger um or like even if you've been like falsely accused or Ooh. and then you have to have the self-control to be like <laughs> betsy and i felt that because you want to go you want you want to go up to that person and be like yo i didn't do it yell right. at them and be like no i was right and you mm-hmm. kind of have to it's very humbling and you have to hold yourself back mm-hmm. yeah be like your own support team yeah no I mean, don't do it <laughs> yeah, don't uh, that's, do it that's what i love about about the truth you know and and Jesus proclaims that the truth will set you free. So ultimately, knowing the truth, even if there's no one else around, you could be standing in front of 15 people who are all throwing false accusations your way. And, uh, you know, what is the truth? Even if only you know it and everyone else there is lying, whether they don't know that they're lying or they're intentionally telling, you know, a, a lie. If, if you know the truth, just rest in the fact that it is the truth and ultimately that will set you free. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's good uh, you, when you're angry. I also know, um, you know, for me, I am a I'm a confrontational person, not that I love conflict. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I need to explain. Um, it's not that I love conflict, but I hate unspoken conflict. I hate unspoken troubles or like the looks yeah 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 like passive aggressive stuff like (laughs) if if i if i know that you've got a problem with me and even though you've never said it explicitly uh like 80 percent of communication is body language so you could come up to me and say no i like you but you're okay 20 percent of what I believe about you is going to come from your words, your face, your body language, 80% of what I believe is going to come from that. So if you say that we're cool, but your body language tells me otherwise, I know we got a problem. So for me, I hate unspoken conflict. I hate knowing that there's an issue going on. So I'm the kind of person who loves to bring it to light, help understand, okay, was there something I did? You know, do you just not like me? Is it my style? What's going on? Let me, <laughs> okay, let me, socks yeah, the fact that I'm wearing Crocs and socks right now, is that really just bugging you to the point where you don't like me? It is. You know, okay. how, how can I, how can we sort through this? That, those are times when a lot of self-control has to be exercised because it's good to deal with the conflict, but that's also highly emotional maybe. Uh, there could be anger or distrust. Yeah, and, and then you don't want to say something that you regret. Right. Which if you have the self-control not to, then you won't. Yeah. But or you could just say anything you want. Which is not having self-control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just go off the deep end. Yeah. I mean, Betsy bringing this this other option to light, which is to not use self-control. Uh, and that brings us to our, our first example. I, I went through... Four examples of uh, people who demonstrated various amounts of self-control. And Samson, congratulations. You have been selected for our No Self-Control Award. 
He, uh, <laughs> it's I like mean, a participation award, but like lower. Worse. Yeah. I mean, that's I, awful. Samson was he was gifted with a ridiculous amount of strength and like an actually ridiculous amount. When I when I figured out how heavy the gates were, the gates of he um the gates of Gaza that he then carried to Hebron, how far away Hebron was, it just like it just blew my mind because a human body is not you can't withstand that amount of pressure. So I found I found a source that um, calculated what the gates were probably made of, which was probably cedar wood, which is super strong wood. And then you have uh, like brass coverings on it to make it look really good. (laughs) And so the, the gate with the pillars and this bar that connected them was somewhere between. 11,000 and 22,000 pounds. So that's a lot for right. For, for reference, a Ford expedition is about, it's roughly 10,000 pounds. So even if the gates were 11,000, it's basically like he picked up a Ford expedition with a family in it. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then if it's 22,000 pounds, it's like he picked up two expeditions with families in it. Oh no. And then (laughs) school bus. Sure. Why didn't we I, equate it to a school bus? That would have made more sense. Expedition with a family in it is funnier. No, but if you could hold the, like, I think it would be more cool if I saw Samson holding a school bus. Fair enough. Like, cause yeah. he, could, he could hold it above his head. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I was thinking about picking up two expeditions. He's got one in each arm. No, That'd but be crazy. But like, if how does he balance them? I don't know. I was envisioning him pulling them by a rope, but you know. It said oh. he like tore them off. Oh. So awesome. But and, and then he <laughs> carried better. them. And then he, he carried them to Hebron, which is twenty to forty miles away. Why? So uh-huh. okay. I mean, basically at minimum a Ford expedition taking about the distance of a whole marathon. And he just sets them up in Hebron as like a as a victory marker. Like, I just tore the gates off your place, and now it's a trophy for Israel, for God, right? So, unbelievable strength, right? The lion attacks him. Yesterday, I carried a fish tank outside. Whoa. It was a 20-gallon. It wasn't full of water, Uh, but... No, it was full of water. I can't lie. (laughs) True, true. Way to have self-control. Yes. I carried it. And I'm like, how, how do you even... It's, like, so awkward because it's so long, but that's also tall. And it's also glass, so if you drop it, it'll break. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, how did Samsung carry all of that? I know. It's and so right, weird. That's the thing is this is obviously an, a physically impossible thing to do, but so is rising from the dead, something <laughs> that only God can do. So um, we know Samson's strength was absolutely supernatural, given by God. Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon him is a very common phrase before he does ridiculous feats of strength, right? So, uh, you know, like the lion attacked him. He grabbed the bottom jaw, grabbed the upper jaw, and just ripped it in half. That's like, gross. I know, but I mean, that's so sick. He had to have been so ripped. <laughs> ripped? Yeah. I mean, it's that's like not even – we've never seen a person – like no matter how strong there's the person that people are now we got you know chocolate milk and we got crossfit stuff to make people stronger like the rock sure the rock 
<laughs> nothing. Like he's this guy was different. Literally built different. I wonder how much he ate a day. Right. But because the spirit of the Lord came upon him, I do kind of wonder, Wait. was he absolutely jacked or was uh, he kind of just like wimpy. a normal guy who the Holy Spirit would come <laughs> upon and then yeah. he just was Maybe that's why they were so surprised. If he was wimpy and skinny <laughs> and a stick. That's why the Philistines were so surprised when he was able to knock him out dead. Yeah, with a donkey jawbone. Yeah. And then, okay, he <laughs> named, after he killed a thousand Philistines with a donkey jawbone, he named the place where he killed them Jawbone Hill. Which <laughs> I wish that I could just rename places after I do something cool there. I mean, like, like killing a thousand Philistites and then name the place after the weapon. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I would be like, the place where I drank two slushies in under 15 seconds cafe or something. Like, just renaming it. I mean, I, I wish I could just claim victories like that, but I guess... <laughs> slushies. Yeah, I guess I guess a judge of Israel appointed by God probably had a little more authority than I do, so that's fair. Um, Maybe. But, so, yeah, Samson was great. He had lots of strength. It was cool. But... As he was walking to the place, that's where the lion attacked him. He killed the lion. As he's coming back from there, he sees the lion, the dead body, which as a Nazarite, he wasn't supposed to go near, wasn't supposed to touch it. And some bees had taken up the carcass and made a hive. The honeycomb. Yeah, the honeycomb. So for some reason, um, first of all, I'm not a Nazarite. Uh -uh. So, you know, I haven't taken this vow or whatever. I can go near a dead body. I would not eat honey out of a dead animal. I'd I wouldn't eat honey straight out of the hive. The honeycomb? It's actually, oh, yeah. That's okay. It's I okay. mean, I don't want to, like, take it, and then all the bees are like, no, that's ours. Well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. But <laughs> I, it, So, yeah, you're right. Just to see honey and scoop it up and eat it is like, all right, bold. <laughs> uh, you know, now you're hoping they don't sting you. But, <laughs> I mean, the fact that it was in a dead animal... And so, so th he just did it because he wanted Older. he wanted some honey, wanted some honey, and he did it even though he totally shouldn't have. It was against the vow he took, right? Uh, we see him. He goes in and sleeps with a prostitute. Um, he when he got mad. Now we're we're not told that the spirit of the Lord came upon him for this, but when he gathered all the 300 foxes together and tied their tails together and <laughs> lit them on fire and sent them through the Philistine village. Like mad um, prank. Right. Like we're not told that the spirit of the Lord came upon him for that. So it's not necessarily that we see approval, but the reason that the Lord allowed him to even marry a Philistine woman in the first place was so that there was a reason for Samson to be with the Philistines. And ultimately, God was going to deliver them from the hands of the Philistines. So it was probably approved by God, but he just snapped. He got so mad that instead of, like, you know, punching a, a pillow or a door <laughs> or something, he just captured 300 foxes, tied their tails together, and set it on fire. Sent them throughout the village, and it burned everything down. <laughs> How are you do that and that's like that's not like a spur of the moment like oh no i made a mistake I'm i punched go. a wall right <laughs> it's like how long did it take him to catch 300 foxes and then once he got them how long did it take him to tie them together you know so he was extremely <laughs> he was extremely impulsive 
bought them at Target. And and when he <laughs> when he had uh, Target run and done. When he had all the you know he'd had any desire, and he would just do it if he felt like it, even though the Lord clearly was with him. He constantly rejected him in various ways. And ultimately, the one thing he was never, ever supposed to do was tell anyone the secret to his strength, which was his long hair. Obviously, the secret was God, but the long hair was specifically God's way of saying, if you if you disobey that, your strength will leave you. And again, he caved, told Delilah the secret, and she sold him out to the Philistines. So... Um, he was unbelievably impulsive. He acted on every emotion, every desire that he had. Uh, and this, this was a person who walked with the Lord, right? Yes. So, you know, this, this shows that we can struggle with self-control, but look at what it cost him. Cause once he told Delilah and the Philistines came and got him, they gouged out his eyes. He didn't have his strength oh. anymore. And he worked as a slave until, uh, the Philistines, 3,000 people in this temple to one of their gods, said, bring out Samson and let him entertain us. Literally just so they could laugh at him because <laughs> they see what this guy who used to torment their people without eyes and he's not strong anymore. And the very last thing he does is say, God, give me my strength one more time so that I could take down this temple and along with it, you know, the people who have fought against you and oppressed your people and the people who have cap- captured me. So he takes down the temple by pushing out the two pillars, killing 3,000 Philistines and himself. So ultimately, the last thing he did was for God. But look at the circumstances. It, with his eyes gouged out as a servant, you know, he probably could have, if he would have followed God's way, that would have been a lot better circumstance probably, right? I don't know. You don't know? Well, Joseph followed God. He still ended up a slave. Well, but yes. he did come back around. Well, and Joseph defeat. Joseph was still doing his thing. I know. He he was doing well like the whole time. But just like Samson got himself into that situation by disobeying. Yes. Right. But yeah, no, you're right. Sometimes God's plan really is for us to again, prosperity gospel, not true. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes God does have it for us to go through stuff uh persecution suffering and that very much is a part of the christian walk sometimes and uh you got to have the self-control and the self-discipline to trust in the lord and just remain faithful even when you're you're going through hard times but it doesn't mean to bring it on yourself (laughs) as samson did um is there anything else y'all wanted to add about samson no i was just gonna say as i was sitting here um I was just thinking about how the all of the fruits of the Spirit are obviously crucial and so important, and it just seems like those self-control is like one of the more visible, like outward fruits of the Spirit, like, you know, with joy, peace, or patience. Like some people, you might not physically, like on the outward appearance of things you might not be able to see that from someone Mm. but you can visibly see self-control for the most part yeah and i was just thinking through that with samson because there's all all of those examples of you know the things that he did and everyone saw that and so it's really important as a believer to 
exercise and have self-control because it is such a visible fruit of the spirit and um I mean like we said from the beginning people will know us by our fruit so I don't know I was just thinking through how self-control is really important and people it's just a very do you know what I'm saying by outward fruit of the spirit yeah well and actually as you go through that list um like humility like people can say you are a humble person but (laughs) yeah well I I, that's a great point because as I'm thinking about it love was love is one that you can see all of the fruits of the spirit you're known by the fruits so people can see all of them but love is one of those that you could do something you know like when a parent uh punishes you they spank you or ground you whatever that's love even though it doesn't feel like it to the person being punished the best thing they can do for you ultimately is to punish you and and tell you there is a consequence to this poor behavior, right? And that that is actually the most loving thing they could do. So love is one of those that's, you can love people in like a lot of ways, maybe even be a very loving person and not super, super demonstrative of it, right? Mm -hmm. And then joy, like we were saying, sadness can also exist at the same time as joy. So maybe someone doesn't look at you and think joy, but if you're truly joyful in the Lord, even while being sad, God can see it. He can see your joy, even though visibly people might think you're sad. And as you go love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, it's almost like everyone gets more and more visible. People know a little bit more if you're at peace with folks. Like, does that person always cause trouble? You know, maybe not. They know if you're an impatient person. <laughs> they know if you're a kind person, a good person, you know, so... I think that's a great point. Self-control kind of hits that pinnacle of everyone can see probably as like the the most visible one, your self-control. Because when you make an impulsive decision or do something bad or even something good, but you act on an impulse, people can see that and they can remember it pretty easily. That That's a great point. Good job, Emily. Nice one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> one for the team. Um. So then this brings us to our next person, uh, Moses. And this I was just a... Moses. Right? He's so cool. He, he is. What Unfortunately... He didn't get into the promised land. He didn't. Why didn't he? Because Betsy? he hit a rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. Yes. So Moses is an example of uh, a loss of self-control. So Samson basically had none. And Moses, for the most part, had it, but had a major lapse in (laughs) self-control um we know in the story of exodus god tells moses to strike a rock and from the rock water will pour out and it will uh i always wondered about that yeah it'll it'll provide water for all of the israelites and he did it the first time he struck the rock when he was told to strike the rock but then the second time the people are complaining and complaining and complaining and God tells Moses to speak to the rock, tell the rock to bring forth water (laughs) and it will happen. But Moses gets so mad because the people are complaining and complaining. He loses it and he smacks the rock with the stick and with his staff. And so because of that split second of a loss of self-control, 
this guy who has led the people through the desert for 40 years has lost just misses out on the promised land and he even saw it too yeah you could see it it's so upsetting literally it's like such a it's like you go into target and you can see it you can see the sour patch kids but you just can't buy them. True. Okay. Yeah. Target analogy. Or, I love Target. Or <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> you know, Target. have you ever have you ever rolled up to like a? Uh, I know we've gone out like a late night ice cream run, like you know, total laps in self control, and uh, <laughs> it's like nine fifty five, and we're like, let's go get some ice cream, and we drive somewhere, and right as we pull up, you see the lady like leaving the store and locking it behind her, and you're like. Mm-hmm. It closed at 10, Mm. right? Like, that's painful, but it's just ice cream. (laughs) You can go any – you can still go to cookout because cookout's always open, and it's amazing. So, like, Uh you you can go to cookout. But, you know, it's just like, ah, I didn't get exactly what I wanted. I'll settle. Moses literally saw his dream, like, the greatest possible existence on this earth for Moses and – the place that he has led people to and he his lack of self-control in that moment cost him yeah he literally just should have it sounds cheesy but i'm like my dude if you would have just taken like taken a breath and just thought through it for a second (laughs) like you didn't have to hit it and i just i can't imagine him looking over it and thinking like wow all I had to do was just open my mouth and talk to it. And <laughs> instead, I got angry and lost my self-control, and now I've lost, you know, everything. Yeah. What's up, Rock? <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> it, 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 it is interesting because the first time he was supposed to strike the rock, the second time was actually an easier command. Just speak to it. So <laughs> it actually, it actually took, like, a deliberate choice for him to all he had to say was come on rock these people are hungry and or thirsty and it would right but he he had to he felt the need to exert the energy to hit the rock so i mean what does that tell us about self-control like for me i i learned from this story one moment one loss of self-control one yeah you can lose everything pretty quickly yeah there's consequences for our sin sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no no i mean that that was right in the same vein of what i was saying it's just um what is there was a quote in one of our leadership books in college it was like it takes 20 years to or it takes like a lifetime of moments to build a good reputation but it takes one moment to destroy it. Mm. And that is just the worst. It's such a horrible, it's a brutal reality. Because it's kind of like failing a test, you know, because you could get 60% of the answers right. And that's still technically an F because a 60% is an F. Right. So it's kind of, it's kind of funny how you can do a lot of things right throughout your whole life, but one mistake can cost you everything. And, Mm. This just such a great reminder. Keep your head about you, but more importantly, walk with the Lord. 
because you know it's kind of funny because self-control is kind of a misleading term because it's insinuating that you have control of yourself but because it's a fruit of the spirit it's actually spirit control like if you try to control yourself that's i'm not putting my trust in myself don't do it no it's it's not a good idea um self-control is actually surrender to the spirit to let him guide you instead of you trying to manage yourself so that that's one of the that's kind of an interesting thing about that word that term self-control it's it's more so letting the spirit take over and guide you in your ways so that you are doing what he would want you to do Mm. so that's that's such a brutal brutal story example from Moses about how messing up one time would would stop you from entering, entering the promised land yeah the dream you know and i mean think about all the ways that that god had already provided for israel like joshua going into slavery sorry joseph joseph going into slavery right yes he he was faithful he was faithful god preserved the line of the messiah he kept Joseph alive so that when his family came, Jacob kept them alive so that Judah could live. And then so, and then they stay in slavery oh. in Egypt. And Moses leads them out of Egypt knowing that God has saved this promise so many times. <laughs> and then Moses literally stopped the promise for himself. No. It's just tragic. It literally is tragic. It's brutal. Mm. Um, so... It moves us to our next uh, next example, and probably one of my, it's at least one of my favorite examples of someone who demonstrated great self control. Um, I don't, I, I'm not going to say it's the best one, but no. this is just a great example of self control. Is Stephen the the first martyr in Acts seven? Stephon. St- yeah, he did have the <laughs> ph. Um, Betsy, how did that story go? Um, it went like this. Stephon was um talking about Jesus. Then, the uh, Pharisees. (laughs) Pharisees. About to say Philistines, but they're kind of not the same thing. No, no. They were like, "You're not. That's blasphemy." Mm -hmm. And then they started to stone him. And then he was like, "Lord, forgive them." And then he dies because they stone him more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Basically, that's the the Cliff Notes Betsy version. <laughs> um, yeah, so he he's being falsely accused of blasphemy, and uh, he's blaspheming Moses and the temple. And Stephen actually goes through and explains, "Hey guys, not only am I uh, not blaspheming, but I love this history." And he walks him all the way through from Abraham to Solomon. And then God says, even though you built me this massive temple, like I already made the materials for the temple. You just kind of arranged them (laughs) into a temple. (laughs) Like, can you really ever make me something that's worthy of my dwelling? And the point is, no matter what we do to honor the Lord, you know, build him a temple, whatever. That's that's ultimately never going to be good enough. He dwells in us. And that's what Stephen was saying. Is he brings them all the way through this these lines of people, and says, "Guys, God dwells in us." And they hated hearing that because, of course, they want the temple. And um, 
saying that God doesn't dwell in the physical temple was why they were so mad. So he explains, I love all of that. I love it. But that's you're missing the point. You're deaf to the Holy Spirit. You keep resisting him just like your fathers. You killed all of the prophets from before. Name one that you didn't persecute. <laughs> and they can't. No. And then he says, not only did you kill the prophets, but then you killed the Messiah, the one that they were trying to tell you about. <laughs> but you wouldn't listen to the prophets, so you didn't. T- they couldn't tell who the Messiah was. And so he's like, you killed him too. So at that point, they get so mad, and he says, how long will you resist the Holy Spirit? And then he looks up into heaven, and he says, oh, look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, which is saying, oh, look, I see Jesus and God as equals. And then they closed their ears, which I guess they just covered their ears and charged Stephen, which is just funny to think about a bunch of grownups doing that. No. And, uh, yeah, they they take him out and start stoning him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Or he says, um, don't hold this sin against them. He's, He's praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. And remember, Stephen was just a man. Now, it does say that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So, obviously, it wasn't self-control in that, ah, Stephen's just a good guy. He's not going <laughs> to he's not gonna get mad at anybody. He was so spirit-filled that he continued preaching the gospel and praying for his enemies as they persecuted him and as they killed him, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would love to think that that's how I would be in the face of persecution. (laughs) You know, I think about these folks in Afghanistan, these believers who are being um, actively hunted. And I actually saw one thing. There was this house church in Afghanistan that had 250 people in it. And it's grown a house church. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, That's a lot of people. uh, Underground, underground church. Sorry. Oh, okay. Not in like a house. I was going to (laughs) say. And it's grown to 2,500 since this Taliban takeover. That's a lot. It's grown 10 times. Yes. During persecution. Does does this include women and children? Uh, I I I would assume so. I mean, but I I don't know. It's not like there's going to be super accurate uh, <laughs> descriptions. Dis- yeah. But I mean, you, what a god we serve. That during persecution a church would it would multiply by 10 because people are they, they're just hearing the gospel and they're believing it and and something it's hard to do but i'm even praying for the taliban members because who who was the person who signed off on stephen martyr's uh killing was it paul no yeah saw oh, at yeah. the time saw. oh saw. yep the when the when the Aww. guys who go to stone stephen would take off their their cloaks they would lay it at the feet of basically the one saying, I approve of this. <gasps> and it says in the story, they laid their coats at the feet of a m- young man named Saul. So da, Saul da, was the one da. actively killing Christians. And on his road to Damascus, Jesus appeared and changed his life. Saul took a fall and became Paul. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite story. It's amazing. It's mm. so cool. And it, it, there's no human involvement. No. Jesus just did it himself just appeared and paul said lord he's like yeah paul why are you persecuting me right so i'm praying that there are actual damascus road moments for these 
these members of the Taliban, that if they literally, if the gospel cannot get into them, if they will not allow someone into their gates, that the Lord will just appear in front of these people and just change everything. Because everyone's watching. The world is watching that. Can you imagine if, like, let's go crazy, the leader of the Taliban, which Paul being in the position he was, he it was a shock, right? Yes. Like, and remember, they didn't have media. No. So when he came to the believers, they were all scared. They're like, oh, my gosh, I've heard of you. <laughs> if you if you've heard of somebody in that day, word had to travel and they're not going to talk about stupid stuff back then. <laughs> like the only stuff that travels is important. Right. Yes. So everyone's watching right now. Imagine if the leader of the Taliban got saved. Imagine if he was martyred for being a Christian or they like, would call him an apostate, someone who leaves the faith like reverse. Not reverse. I'm trying to think redeemed. Redemption? Yeah. I don't know. No, I don't know. Not reverse. A 180. A 180. <laughs> More like a 360. How would it be a 360? You just turn all around and start over completely new. Sure. Well, that'd be a 180. No. Going one way, and then you turn. And now you're going another <laughs> anyway, way. Anyway. But know. but yeah, I mean, j- just like I'm praying for, and uh, the people who are listening, pray, pray for our brothers and sisters not only in Afghanistan, specifically them right now, but there are believers being persecuted all over the world right now. And uh, pray pray that the Lord would give them peace and strength and help them to continue sharing the gospel and enduring until they do get called home. And Amen. also pray for the Taliban. Pray for those people who are persecuting the church. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing Paul thought Saul thought that he was totally correct in doing what he did until he saw Jesus for who he was and said oh got it I've been wrong this whole time (laughs) turn around turn around (laughs) right and that's what he did he he repented and died for his faith instead of killing people who shared that faith so um just really just be thinking about those believers praying uh for them and praying for the salvation of the, the people who are doing these things because God can do anything and it would be a massive, massive miracle if he, I mean, if God could save me, he could save the head of the Taliban. Mm. I, I, I will, I will say that he can, he can do miracles like that. And, uh, our last example of self-control would be the ultimate Jesus. example. Exactly. Always the yep. last example, always the greatest, and yeah. will forever be the greatest yep. example. Yeah, Jesus, man, what he went through on our behalf, stuff that we should have gone through. Is unfair. It, no, it's completely unfair, completely unfair. But he did it out of love for us, and while he did it, he didn't fight back he didn't uh speak up for himself i mean the (laughs) stephen wasn't wrong when they were like are these accusations true and stephen then goes on to explain what he meant right jesus didn't even defend himself he just allowed himself to be falsely accused and if there was ever an innocent person in the world it was jesus yeah right he knew like 
the absolute truth like he knew what was going to happen and he knew what was right and he still he humbled himself i feel like humility and self-control they kind of go um because it takes humility to sometimes have self-control or maybe it always takes humility to have Mm self-control but um the fact that he knew he just he knew he literally knew everything he knew the truth he knew that they were all wrong and he had the humility and the self-control to still hang there and even after being mocked and people you know making comments to him saying if you're really the son of god then why don't you i mean he literally could have just like snapped his fingers and come off the cross but he (coughs) knew that's not what had to be done Mm -hmm. and he definitely is just the ultimate example of self-control in every way yeah i mean he could have just convinced everyone in that moment without moving no no snap of the finger no uh he doesn't have to say anything he could have stood there and everyone would have been like wait a minute why are we doing this to jesus he could have just convinced (laughs) him right he totally could have flipped just changed their mind persuaded them else uh otherwise but that wasn't the point the point was not for him to be um it wasn't the the reason for his crucifixion was not to demonstrate his power before the death, before the crucifixion, and for him to be cleared of all charges. It was for him to take on every charge, to be accused of everything that we have ever done, and to actually bear the weight, bear the consequence of it all, as if he did it, mm. so that he could die and then come back to life. That example of power is much more much more impressive than if he were to just come off the cross that would have convinced the people there like oh shoot he is the son of god he just came right off there right but now it's the fact that he actually died and we know he died we know jesus was a real person we know he actually was crucified we know where he was buried uh we know that his bones weren't broken we know that the water came out of his heart um i know it's gross but i mean the, all of the prophecies about him were true. Him, him coming back from the dead is the final proof that he was, in fact, who he said he was, and that is God. That demonstration of power was far greater than him simply coming off the cross and snapping, you know, snapping his fingers and <laughs> ending it. So he demonstrated such self-control to go through that even in the midst of false accusations even in the midst of taking a punishment he didn't deserve and we know the fruit of the spirits build on each other with love being the the foundation of it and ultimately love is why his self-control was so great it his ability to have self-control also other than the fact that he was god (laughs) um, (laughs) the self-control why did he stay on the cross he loved us love he loved us i think love and self-control since they it's love is the first and self-control is the last i think those are the two that really go together because you have to love to have self-control because jesus loved and he was able to go through all that he did go through to save us out of love for us Mm -hmm. yeah i mean so Christ Christ is truly the ultimate example of self-control and he embodies all of the fruits of the spirit. He he demonstrated he all of them uh to perfection. And so 
you know, this this brings us to the last point of the the sermon, which is Christ demonstrating all the fruits of the Spirit ultimately demonstrated holiness as well. He demonstrated what it is to live a holy life. And so the call to be holy as I am holy, as, as God is holy, that is not hyperbole. That is not try your best. That's actually a mandate, a standard. God has told us to live a holy life. And being human, boom, you already messed up. So the only way to be reconciled to God is still perfection. And Jesus' perfection covers our sin, covers our imperfection, so that when God looks at those of us who have accepted Christ and have received his forgiveness, they, they're only seen as, as clean. God looks down at his children and sees sinless. And, and that is a result of Christ's love, joy, peace, patience, all the way through his self-control, his, uh, his unmatched love and grace for us is why we even have the opportunity to live out the fruits of the spirit, to, to live holy lives. Cause if it wasn't for Christ, we could not be filled with the spirit. So, um, I, I, I've loved this series a lot. I've loved walking through these and defining each one of them. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add? If it's about the whole series or just self-control um, before we sign off? I think the whole series is very important to learn because it is something that we should be practicing out. Love. We should love others. Joy. We should have joy in the Lord and so on. Mm-hmm. And it's very great to finally understand each each word and their meaning and how that can look like in my life. So. Mm. Good. I'm I'm glad. And you got anything else? I mean, not really. The I agree with Betsy. It was I think the the series was awesome. I learned a lot. I thought I knew a lot about the fruits of the spirit, but was quite surprised on some <laughs> of them that they had such a deeper meaning and you know, now we know. Um I think we all have a clear understanding of each one and now we we got to live it out and People will know us by our fruit, and so now we have to take the challenge to go, to go live like it, and to just live like Jesus and share Jesus with others. So live like Jesus. That's right, and that's how we're gonna end it. So y'all, thank you for listening, and thank you guys for talking. Thank you. Uh, let's go out and live like Jesus. All right. So tonight we're talking about self-control. It is the last. Fruit of the Spirit. Um, can anyone relate to this picture? Anyone? Yeah, raise them up high. Raise them up there. Get them up. Yeah. So, so what is what is this story that is being told right now? School. Okay, what do you mean, Charlotte? <laughs> Okay, the process of waking up. See, what's funny about that is I didn't think waking up was a process. You go from sleep to awake. How does the, how does the process of waking up work? You open your eyes and get out of bed. It seems, it seems like this is telling a different story than your experience. Yeah. Um, so, 
I mean, we all know the classic, like, mom comes in your room and she's like, wakey, wakey. And you're like, five more minutes, right? Um, my dad, to remedy that, first of all, I sleep with a fan. So for those of you fans, who sleeps with a fan? Who, like, can't sleep without one? I love that. That is so many. We're the first ones to go in the apocalypse. First world... <laughs> I mean, you got these dudes who are like, don't worry, I've been sleeping on concrete for 35 years in preparation for this moment. And I'm like, can I use the very limited amount of electricity we have to get a good night's rest with a fan? <laughs> nope. That's how we get voted out of the camp and we die. But right now we're not having to worry about the apocalypse, all right? That's not time yet. Close, but not time. So um, my dad... Because, my, it's actually really sad. My dad started sleeping with a fan because he was raised in a really tough home. Really abusive home. And, um, man, y'all totally could have just sat in the front. But it's okay. Um, he was raised in an abusive home. And so, he would actually sleep with a fan to block out the noise of all the craziness happening in his house. So really, really sad situation, right? And what's kind of darkly funny is I sleep with a fan because my dad sleeps with a fan. So I just love it because that's how I was raised. And my dad's reasoning is so much like more profound and like heavy. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I just prefer a fan. I don't have to worry about drowning out the screams of my siblings and whatnot. So it's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty unfortunate how my dad got into the habit, but I formed it for a good reason. So I'm sure most of you can identify with my reasoning. Um, so he'd come in, turn off the fan. Um, another technique was to just grab the whole blanket and just tear it right on off. Because when, if, if you're facing this way and the light turns on, you're like, oh, five minutes. You still got that blanket and you got the other way. So you can still go back to sleep. But I'll tell you, when that blanket gets ripped off, you're like, fine. <laughs> you can try your best to roll over, but it's not the same. Or he would do a combo, leave the fan on, tear the blanket off. So now I'm cold and don't have a blanket. Yeah, yeah. They never did the whole like bucket full of water in the face. So thankful for that. I had a roommate in, in college. He didn't believe me, all right? One of my, the, my other roommate was one of my best friends from high school. This other kid, it was like our first week of living together. And I told him, I was like, guys, if you ever need me, just turn off my fan and I'll wake up. But like, <laughs> if you need to wake me up. I wasn't just telling him to do it for fun. And one day, I'm like taking a, a I don't know if it was a nap or if I was just sleeping, sleeping in. I wake up. And this kid's just like staring at my face. Because literally, I can be in like deep sleep as soon as that fan turns off. As soon as I hear the... I'm up. Like I'm, I'm awake and I'm aware of what's happening. This kid clicked off my fan. And immediately my eyes open. He goes, it worked. <laughs> I was like... 
And I rolled back over and went to sleep. <laughs> I was so not having it. I'm like, don't try that. Just, why? I'm sleeping, okay? This kid was like super responsible, in bed at a certain time, whatever. So he was never tired. I was tired because I stayed up to it and whatnot. So, exactly. What's up, Nate? <laughs> so, so um, anyway, this is what happens when you become an adult and you don't have someone there to turn off your fan or to rip the blanket off of you. You actually have to get up. You actually have to have a little self-control to say, I'm going to wake up, right? So if you say, I'm going to wake up at 730, I pray none of you have to start your wake up process an hour and 10 minutes early. You wake up, wait, you start at 6 a.m. to wake up when? At 6 a.m. But you, that's your first alarm. Okay, I'm Madison, and I'm better than everybody. <laughs> That's literally amazing. Your body clock's like, time to be up. Hey, Mom and Dad, how can I help you this morning? I bet that's what she does, right? Yeah, she's just like golden child. <laughs> they don't even have to. She'll go and wake up the kids. You guys sleep in. She'll put on a pot of coffee for you. So this, is, this takes some self-control to not do this, right? Now... If this is where you have to start to wake up early, all right, maybe you'll get to college and this is how you have to begin. But eventually you're going to learn you have to just, you got to just get up, all right? Like if you ever known you overslept, like the other day, Emily and I, I hit, I hit snooze the alarm at 7.15. And, you know, we went back to sleep because we, were, we weren't like fully awake. And then 9.15 rolls around, <laughs> and I guess I didn't snooze it. I, for some, I somehow, I guess I don't remember doing it, but I just turned off the alarm. So we wake up on like a Monday, not a good way to start a Monday, knowing you're two hours behind. Uh, that was terrible, but that was an accident. I wasn't trying to do that. You got to be disciplined. You got to have enough self-control to tell yourself, all right, we got to wake up. This has to happen right? How long did it take us to get to work though? I mean, we were like ready and at work within like 45 minutes. I mean, we made it happen, but that you don't need that type of pressure in your life. Just wake up at a reasonable time, have some self-control. So the last, so uh, last fruit of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So This is the definition of self-control that I found. Self-control is the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. Yes? You used BDAG last week. Is it the same word? Same thing. Yep. BDAG is a dictionary. I'm just citing my sources. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I thought I've explained that every week. So, sorry, that's that's on me? No, it's not. Um, also, I'm recognizing that green was a bad idea. So that's, on, that's also on me. Joy's in the back, like, not having a good time. She's going to go, like, count wood chips or something. Um, so the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. So when your first alarm goes off, 
the, the, or when your parents rip the blanket off of you like a savage. Your, inst- your instant like impulse or emotion is maybe to start swinging, right? Don't do that. Right? Don't do that. Have some self-control. You cannot hit your parents, right? So if you've never hit your parents, good. All right? Now, let's, let's go a level deeper. What if you've talked back to them and said, no, you know what? It's not time to wake up, folks. <laughs> right, yeah. You're not with it. You're like, <laughs> in your head, that's what you said. You were, in your head, it was like this beautifully crafted argument. Like, this is why I won't wake up at this time. But what came out was, <laughs> your parents are like, get, oh, get out of bed. <laughs> I, okay, sure. I get that. Um, but you get, you got out of the self-control, right? Like your parents are not going to do everything for you forever, even though it feels like they will because your parents love you and you know that they want what's best for you. So you think, no, surely they won't make me do (laughs) pay for my own phone. That's stupid. Why would they do that? That's like murdering a child. (laughs) That's like the same thing. What? Pay for my own insurance? No. That's stupid. No, guys, that's real life. It's what happens. Emily and I got married. My parents are like, hey, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> they've given us plenty of gifts for our wedding. By far the worst one was us having to pay for our own car insurance. <laughs> yeah. But that's what happens when you grow up, right? You got you to pay for stuff. Hey, you got to pay bills on time. No, of course I'd be like, what? No, throw in the trash. Boom. Now I don't owe $100. Still owe it. They know, they know about you. They've, trust me. The people who asked you for money know about you. And they will come for you. Okay? Pay the bill. You got to be responsible. Pay the bill. Okay? So you got you to use restraint. No matter how upset you are at your circumstances. You get a bunch of loans from college. Even though Joe Biden promised to erase the debt, I can tell you as someone who wishes he would have, it didn't happen. So now, still in, they're still in some debt, and I got to sort it out. Got to pay it off. I have to. Like, there's no, I don't want to, or there's no, my impulse says, let's fight the government. Can't do that. Can't do it. Can't do it. You just, I know. You might want to take your BB gun and charge the Capitol, but that's going to get you seriously injured or incarcerated or killed uh, just because you paid, you had some money you had to pay back. All right. Just pay it back. Okay. Fight, fight the impulse there. So then your desires, what do we know about the heart? If I say, follow your heart. It's bad. Why? (laughs) Someone's been listening. Why? Why, Betsy? Because we're born into sin. Mm-hmm. So we are sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you just said it. The heart is deceitful above all things. So when people are like, just follow your heart. Just live your best life. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> Make your dreams come true. 
do it. That is the funniest video I've ever seen. Thank you for reminding me of it. I'll watch it before bed tonight. So good. Um, so, okay, stop. So, you know, follow your heart. You know, be a dreamer. Okay. Uh, not a great idea. Because your heart is wicked. It's a terrible thing. It's horrible. It's like literally having a broken compass, dropping someone in the wilderness with said compass, and then telling them to use that compass to get home. Terrible idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're better off looking at the sun and trying out all your tricks that you learned in Boy Scouts or that you learned from your friends who said they were in Boy Scouts, which is what I would have to do. I'd be like, the sun is up there. So I'll go that way. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, Emily could tell you, like getting on the highway says go east. And I guess east is the way that this road is taking me. Cause that's what the sign said. She's like, we're supposed to go west. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that. I was following the GPS and I still miss sometimes. I'm bad. I'm bad with directions. Okay. So the good news is I know I can't trust my heart. I can't trust my instincts because they are bad ones. I have terrible instincts in that regard, okay? So now take it and apply it to morality. As bad as my instincts are for direction, all of our instincts in terms of morality are way worse. You naturally want to do horrible, horrible things. Horrible things. And that's not an overstatement in the slightest. Do not follow your heart. It's a terrible guide and it will absolutely lead to your destruction. So I'm going to go through a couple examples of people who uh, we're just going to ask the question, how did they do with self-control? And uh, first up, Samson. Samson was bad. He was terrible with self-control. He, um, when he was born, he, well, he couldn't do it when he was born, but it, he took the Nazarite vow as a young boy, which means he dedicated himself solely to God, which means beyond a normal Jewish person, he lived like a super strict lifestyle. And so he couldn't cut his hair and he couldn't go near a dead body uh, of any kind, not just a person like animals, whatever. Uh, couldn't even eat anything that came off of a grapevine, let alone drink wine or grape juice. Um, but what do we know about Samson? That's kind of sick. Yes. Super strength. And I'm kind of just now realizing how strong he was. Okay. What are the stories that you think of when you think of his feats of strength? Yes. Okay. So when he actually, that was the last thing he did. How many people did he kill? 3,000. At, sorry, 3,001, including himself. Ben. Took a donkey. Wait, 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 wait. Just one, just one. Took a donkey jawbone and killed a thousand guys. Apparently donkey jawbones are sick. That's my weapon of choice. And after he killed them all, he named the hill where he killed them 
Jawbone Hill. Which is... I'm not joking. Of course it was in Hebrew, but it translates to Jawbone Hill. It was probably like... Yeah. Uh, Brogan. He what? Okay. Not only did he lift it, where did he carry it? <laughs> yeah. Are you answering that question? Yeah. What's the other one? Um, he ripped open a lion. Yep. 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 A lion attacked him, and he grabbed its jaws and just tore it in half. How sick. Stop. Hold on. Guys, look at me. Guys. Guys, Ian. Ian, look here. Guys. A lion attacked him. And it wasn't like, oh, man, I got out of there. Like, I played dead. He's like, yeah, I ripped it in half. But I didn't tell. He didn't tell his parents. It said he was on the way and a lion attacked him. He tore it in half and just kept going. I mean, what, just wipe the blood off yourself and just explain that away, right? But didn't he eat meat No, it was something else. So um, I'm just describing the things he did that were great before getting into the bad stuff. So Brogan mentioned the one I really wanted to talk about. Yeah, Caleb? Didn't he beat up like 12 guys? So he could 30. Yeah. yeah. He gave him a riddle and they cheated to answer the riddle, so he killed him. No. <laughs> you know. As I do. You know how I ask you guys questions and when you get it wrong, I murder your family? It's kind of like that. But it said the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So, it, the Lord like, had that. It was the Philistines. So, the Lord wanted that to happen. So, it wasn't like he just went on a rampage. Oh, the other amazing thing he did. He captured 300 foxes. He just, like, so these people make him mad. He went to go see his wife, and then his father-in-law was like, oh, shoot, sorry, I uh, gave your wife to somebody else. Just go date the younger sister. She's more attractive anyway. That's what the Bible says. Um, And Samson gets angry, and instead of, you know, writing a strongly worded letter, goes and captures 300 foxes. Just like, this is his go-to mode of revenge. Like, you asked for this. I'll be back. 300 foxes. Ties their tails together in pairs. So 150 pairs of foxes. Lights the tails on fire and just sends them into this village. And they just catch everything on fire and burn it all to the ground. I mean, I'm a hey, Kenny. On your best day, hunting anything, how many things have you killed? Yeah, just best day. I don't care if it's ducks or... Uh, 15 ducks. 15, see, that's, that's impressive. How about 300? <laughs> I mean, foxes. It, I got to imagine he wasn't just like hiding. I bet you he just literally outran them. That's what I would choose to think. Is he just chased them down, just grabbed them. He like went to wherever their home was and just like dug in there and just took them all in. So those are some of the, like, the amazing feats of strength that he did. But the one I want to talk about, <laughs> bless you, Brogan just mentioned he lifted, he went into Gaza. And first of all, he slept with a prostitute. 
He's a judge of Israel, right? So this is where his self-control is just, he has none. Okay, remember, he can't touch a dead body. That lion carcass, he, he, that lion he killed, he goes to the city, comes back, and he sees that bees had made, made a, a honeycomb inside of the body. So he's like, sick! And he just scooped some honey out of the dead body. So that was not okay for somebody who had taken the Nazarite vow. But he didn't care because he was hungry. So he just scooped it. And it says that he ate some and gave his parents some. But he used his hands to scoop it. So I'm just wondering, like, he just comes back from this journey. He's like, hey, guys, I got some honey. Y'all want some? And they're like, yes. (laughs) That's the part that gets me is they ate it. Okay? So that wasn't okay. Again, broke the vow just because. He wanted some honey, so he went next to the dead. He touched the dead body. Uh, Not supposed to... You're supposed to be with, like, only your wife. And he goes and sleeps with a prostitute. Wait, did, he, did they even ask where that honey came from? I guess not. I mean, it, I assume he was covered in blood. But they didn't care. I guess he was always covered in blood. Um, so he comes, as he's leaving Gaza, uh, he takes the gates, just picks the gates and the pillars attached to the gates, just lifts them off the ground. Roughly, at minimum, the weight of a Ford Expedition. Anyone know what I'm talking about? A Ford Expedition. Okay. It's, that's 9,500 pounds. 9,500 pounds. But these gates were probably 11,000 pounds to about 20,000 pounds. They were made of like cedar and plated with bronze, right? He just picks up two SUVs. Okay, like, I don't know how I didn't catch this story as a kid. Just picks up two SUVs and, it, and he carries them to Hebron. All right? And to us, we're like, well, I mean, Israel's like that big, so it's probably like 30 steps. It was 20 to 40 miles. I'm going to take two expeditions and run a marathon with them. That's cool. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? So this man, this judge, does all of these unbelievably powerful things that demonstrate God's power. And before he did those things, it said the spirit of the Lord came upon him. That's what it said. So we know that this was not Samson's strength. Before he did something supernatural, God had to come upon him for him to become this monster, right? (laughs) And so, but his downfall was his lack of self-control. Because then when he was with Delilah, he wasn't supposed to tell anyone the secret to his strength, which was his long hair. She kept asking him what his secret was, and he kept tricking her. He's like, if you get seven strings that have never been dried, that'll do it. So she ties him up in his sleep, calls the Philistines, and he tears him out and then beats the poop out of everybody. He's like, ha ha, just kidding, that wasn't it. And she keeps asking and asking, and eventually he caves because he had no self-control. He, it said that she nagged him to the point of death. He was like, fine. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength. And he did. But he got cocky because when the guys came to get him, he's like, don't worry, babe. I'll just beat him up like I did last time. And then he's super weak. 
because it was never his strength in the first place, right? So this is an example of someone who had a, they walked with the Lord kind of, but they had no self-control. He gave in to almost every impulse that he had. And that was really, really not good. That was his major downfall. Yeah, Maddie. Didn't when he, uh, like, break the temple down, didn't they, wasn't he, like, blind? Yeah, after they took him when he cut his hair, he had no strength, right? So they just grabbed him and took him away. And they gouged out his eyes and just made him, like, push this wheel thing. He was just a slave. Um... So that's story. Uh, that's Samson's story. There's no self-control. He's a great example of who to not be like. Okay. So check everyone. Don't be like Samson. All right. You can hit the gym, but just don't be like Samson. So here's an example of a loss of self-control. Moses in general was a really good leader and he was leading the people into the promised land. And at one point, God tells Moses to speak. Uh, he tells him to strike the rock so that the water would come out of it and provide enough water for all of these people. So it was a miracle, right? So the first time Moses strikes the rock and it happens. So he obeyed God. Then there's another point where the people start complaining again because that's what they did. And God said, now Moses, speak to the rock. And water will will pour out and everyone will be able to drink of it. But because they kept complaining and complaining, Moses lost it. He got so mad, he just smashed the rock with his staff. He just hit it. And he did that out of anger. It was disobedience. The first time God said, strike it. The second time he said, speak. But he struck it out of his impatience and his anger and his frustration with the people. And, uh, you know, maybe the consequence is like, oh, your staff broke. Shouldn't have done that. That's why you have self-control. No, his consequence was, hey, because of that act of disobedience, you don't get to go to the promised land. Wait, what was he supposed to say to the rock? He just said, speak to the rock and water would come out. So him and God knew. I don't know. Water. Come out of there. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. What's up, rock? The sky. Shut up. <laughs> um, so and that cost him the promised land. That one act of a lack of self-control lost him the promised land. So guys, just like apply this to yourself. Apply Samson's story to yourself. Every desire that you have, whether, whether that be a, a sexual desire, whether that be um, a desire for food even. Like if you need to get some self-control around food, do it. If you need some self-control around what you drink, if you need some self-control around uh, your friends, if you need to make boundaries, like whatever it is, demonstrate self-control, right? I'm walking the walk when it comes to that food one, okay? I'm working it out. All right, that's been a, it's been a battle Doing, doing okay. Um, your heart is going to long for various things and you cannot give in to all of them. You have to have self-control. 
And in, some, in most cases, maybe it's not going to be like a life-changing consequence. Like, oh, you ate a donut, shouldn't have ate a donut. Uh, you know, okay. Maybe, I don't know, if you, maybe like Emily, if she drinks coffee, she's done great to get off of coffee and turn to uh, chai. Um, tea? Come on, but it's chai. Chai's the move, yeah. Um, she gets headaches when she drinks coffee. So the occasion when she does drink it, the consequence is a headache. Not the worst thing ever. Moses literally lost out on the greatest place ever. God promised it to his people. He had been born into slavery. Like He had worked all this time to get here, and he disobeyed, hit the rock, and now he doesn't get to go to the promised land. Think before you do stuff. Think before, okay, holy cow. Think before you post anything on TikTok. Freaking please. Oh my gosh. Every time I hear, did you see the TikTok whoever made? I'm like, oh no. I know that person. What did they do? Who's, who's getting kicked out? What's happening? It's awful. Please watch it. Delete TikTok. The whole thing. Thank you. Just throw it out. Just throw it right in the garbage. What's that? Who'd I call out? Someone literally just said I called him out. Sorry. Anyway, just... If something causes you to sin, get rid of it. If it's TikTok, get rid of it. If it's your whole dang phone, get a flip phone. Whatever. But just like... I know, I know. That's the worst thing I could have asked of you. I'm sorry. Pick up your cross. And by pick up your cross, I mean get rid of your iPhone. <laughs> Dude, my phone is locked up. Like it's a brick. No, it's like I'm saying the reasons you want a smartphone, my phone is basically useless for. I, I, did, I did that in high school. My dad just locked them up. That's how we were raised. So do it. I promise you. It's not the worst thing ever. It's called rehab. Just you cut it out and you just, ah, you can't be around it. Can't be inundated with it. Just get rid of it. Okay. Have some self-control. Fellas, I specifically you suck at this. You know how I know? I also am a young man. I know I'm super old, 24 in my back. (laughs) But... (laughs) But I know, I know that just scrolling mindlessly through social media is pretty much never a good thing. Okay? Just have some self-control. Because a moment of a loss of self-control... I'm so sorry. A moment of a loss of self-control can be a serious, serious detriment to your life. Moses lost everything that he was hoping for. So imagine it's you talking about a scholarship, talking about you get to get out of here. You get to go and go to the school of your dreams. You got a scholarship lined up. And then they find that you posted something dumb on Instagram. And you literally lose your opportunity at school for that. Guys, if you lose your opportunity at school and then you can't get that job you wanted, like the amount of things that can be lost from one bad decision are unbelievable. 
And I know it's so hard to think that far ahead, but just try. Just try. This is a wonderful example of self-control. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Who, uh, does anyone know what Stephen is famous for? Connor. He was stoned to death because he uh, kind of made the Pharisees mad. Kind is an understatement, yeah. Uh, he was the first martyr. He was the first martyr. He was stoned to death. So these people are falsely accusing Stephen, okay? They're saying Stephen is blaspheming the temple and blaspheming the law of Moses, and, but he's not. He's not. He's preaching the gospel, but these people who don't want to hear it are literally blocking him out and trying to convince people to arrest him or kill him because they don't like what he's saying. They don't like Jesus. So they say, Stephen, is this true? And he goes through the entire, literally the whole Old Testament in just like a couple of verses explaining how since God made the promise to Abraham that his people would be the people that the Messiah comes from and that his, people, his family would be a, a great nation, all of that, he explains it all back to the Pharisees. So he's saying, not only am I not blaspheming that, I love it. Our father, like, this is our history, guys. I love this stuff. But King David said, I want to build a temple for you. And God said, okay, but you can't do it because you have blood on your hands. Your son will build it. So Solomon built it. King Solomon built it. But even that temple as mag... Okay, guys, the temple. Go like look up just uh, images of what the temple should look like. It's massive. It's gorgeous, okay? BYU has a good 3D uh, recreation of it. You can actually go inside the... Uh, not the Holy of Holies, but you can go like the room just before. Nice. Yeah, if you went into the Holy of Holies, that'd be it. Except they're Mormons, so I don't even know why they have a... Whatever. So, um, the temple is a magnificent building. Unbelievable, right? But even God says, how are you... I've made everything. So you're going to make me a place to live out of the stuff I already made. Okay. Basically saying, okay, the temple's great, but ultimately, he, the Spirit lives in us. God lives in us when we accept Him, right? And that's what Stephen was telling the people. He's saying, the Holy Spirit is trying to come into your life. But just like, and this is the part that made him really angry. He was like, just like your fathers, you killed all the prophets who were trying to tell you this. Name, he goes, name one prophet your, par- your fathers didn't kill. Name one. As a matter of fact, you also killed the Messiah. You killed Jesus, the ones that the prophets were prophesying about. You killed him too. How long, he said, you're, you're deaf. You're, in, you, you know, you're not able to hear the Holy Spirit because you're, you're too hard of heart. And now this next part's funny because it says they were so mad they stopped their ears and charged Stephen. So I just imagine all these Jewish guys with their robes like, ah! Just running at him. <laughs> and li- they literally grab him and drag him out and start stoning him. 
Guys, instead of fighting back or like throwing a stone, <laughs> I just imagine some like feisty guy like dodges a rock, picks it up and like throws it back. You just like take one of them out on his way out. No, he, he just, he preached the whole gospel to people who desperately needed it. And as he was about to be killed, he looks up into heaven and says, the heavens opened up. He says, look, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And that was blasphemy to the Jewish people. For him to say that Jesus was up there with God at, the right, at his right hand, because that's like equal. As soon as he said that, they just started stoning him. And what were the last words that Stephen said? Wow. Yes. I was hoping one of the four guys with their hands up would have gotten that. Jackson, that's what you were going to say. Happy birthday. She answered it for you, so you didn't have to. Because you don't deserve to work on your birthday. All right? She got it. Don't worry about it. Well done, Sarah. It's nice. He said, Father, don't hold this sin against them. He's praying for his enemies, not like... I mean, guys, have y'all seen what's going on in Afghanistan? It's, it's horrible, okay? Our troop withdrawal thing did not go well. The Taliban immediately took over Afghanistan, and a lot of people are dying. Specifically, Christians are being targeted. And we're sitting here openly talking about Jesus, openly worshiping, having zero fear of going home. Having zero fear of being killed for this. Right? So, these people know that they are going to die for their faith. There are believers in Afghanistan who are literally preparing to die. But we stand here calling ourselves Christians just because you can. You call yourself a Christian because your parents raised you in the church. Or you go to a Christian school. Or you read your Bible. You have your own Bible with your name written on it. You do your devos. You got the Bible app. Whatever. Guys, I don't care what your grade in Bible class is. I don't care how good people say you are. God looks at your heart and he knows about you. He has either written your name in the Lamb's book of life or he has not. So just think about those people who are, and it's not just Afghanistan. Persecution's happening everywhere. But right now, Afghanistan's really easy to, that's an easy first one to think about. Just before you call yourself a Christian again, think about it. Are you living like one? Are you demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit? Because if you're not, Jesus would say, that a person who is not walking out their faith, they're not living their faith, isn't saved. Don't, I'm not judging you. I'm not saying that you're not saved. Jesus is. And that's a heck of a lot scarier. Right? Because I can be wrong. I could say, I don't think what you did was the right thing to do. I could be off. Jesus isn't off, ever. He knows. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows what you were thinking and feeling before you do anything 
Even if you don't do anything, he knows what went through your head. So be very, very careful calling yourself a Christian if you're not even going to try to live like one. It's not only an insult to those people who are dying for their faith. Imagine you raise your hand and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And one of them raised their hand and says, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you see their testimony of like what they've had to go through and what they've had to endure for Christ versus what you've had to endure for Christ. Guys, we haven't had to go through anything. We haven't compared to these people. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Do not say that you are a believer, that you are a Christian, knowing that you do not have any interest in a relationship with Jesus. Just walk away from him. Just leave him. But do not dare carry his holy name and still justify your lifestyle on this earth. Don't do it. Just renounce him if you're not a Christian. But if you are, live like it. Stephen went down, not swinging, on people at least. He was swinging on the gates of hell till his last breath. Trying to win these people to Christ even as they're about to murder him. And as they are murdering him, still proclaiming the name of Jesus. Still as they're murdering him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Which is a direct quote from Jesus on the cross. This, the, the word, it says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Greek word actually means filled to where nothing else can be added. I want this. I want this. Have you guys ever... Um, done that water tension test like in science where you like uh, fill a cup of water and then add drops and the water actually comes over the surface that it comes over and forms a little bubble you would think it would pour over as soon as it goes over the top but water actually can form a tiny little dome right but then as you keep adding drops that last drop bursts it right that's the image huh yeah surface tension the, that's like the image it's brought up when you say filled with the Holy Spirit. Not one more drop of water could be added. Not one more, nothing of Stephen. It was not his heart. It was not his flesh or his desires. The Holy Spirit was so, it was so saturated through him. There was nothing else, nothing else that could be added. That's how I want to live. That is how we are called to live actually. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're probably not close to that. There's a problem there. So sort it out. He was a great example of self-control, letting the Holy Spirit fill him completely so that he could continue proclaiming Jesus until he literally could not anymore. The ultimate example of self-control is Jesus. I mean, we could go through the list of everything that happened to him. He was beat. He was spat on. He was falsely accused. I mean, when we're falsely accused, what do you do? Yeah. Something like that. Like Beth, what Betsy's doing. What? No. Jesus literally didn't even react. 
He just stood there. People shouting all sorts of stupid at him. And he was like, imagine the love. Remember, the fruits of the Spirit all are based off of love. The love that he had for us to watch his accusers, who are also the people he's dying for. Unbelievable for him to literally see them hating him. Yet, he did not say anything. He was spat on. When they put that crown of thorns on his head and then they hit it into his head further with the staff, that's like one of the most underrated, painful parts of his whole experience. Like, that's awful. I hate thinking about that. And he didn't do anything except continue carrying the cross that should have been mine. He kept carrying it. That's how much he loved us. And he had the self-control to, no, this is not about me. I have to do this. Was Jesus innocent? Obviously. In a snap of a finger, he literally could have just changed everyone's mind. He could change everyone into anything. He could have changed them into a bunch of rocks. Just like, because he wanted to. He just didn't. Because that wasn't the point. A man who was completely innocent, right? Because if somebody accused me of being like too harsh or an idiot, I'd be like, ah, you know what? I'd, I'm sorry. Maybe I should have handled that better. But I can't say that I'm always not an idiot. There's definitely some times when I'm an idiot. Definitely sometimes when I should be a little softer, but I did come across too harshly. Jesus was perfect. He was actually perfect. And as much as I would want to defend myself, I'm still not perfect. I'm still wrong. If anyone ever had the ability to say, no, that's a lie. I've done nothing wrong. It literally was Jesus and he didn't. And he did that for us. Guys, we have to live with this self-control. Not just self-control, but think of all of the fruits that we've covered. And I've defined them for a very specific reason. So that you know exactly what it is to live out each fruit. The call to live holy lives is not an exaggerated command. It's not like, yeah, sorry, you got to be perfect in order to get to heaven. It's um, actually, you have to be perfect. You have to be. Are you? No. So the only way for you to get to be back in a relationship with God, that was honestly, that was the design. He made it like that in the Garden of Eden. The only way for that to happen is perfection. You have to be perfect. But because none of us could be perfect, Christ had to God himself had to come down to earth, live the perfect life that we were supposed to live, the holy life that we were supposed to live. He had to do that for us. 
so that a perfect person could have existed because otherwise there wasn't going to be one. The only one perfect is God, but it needed to be a man who died for us. So God became man and died for our sins. But if he just stayed dead, that wouldn't have done anything. He beat death. He came back from the dead. And that's not a... You might think Samson carrying the gates, like, okay, that sounds like a made-up story. It happened. It did. So if, if Samson's able to physically carry something, you know, that's impossible. But beating death, that's like absolutely it. That's absolutely impossible for us. But God did it just for us. So we have to live these holy lives. Not, not because cause now if you've accepted Jesus, his perfection has covered you. When God looks at you, when you come to the judgment seat one day, it's only going to be good things if you've accepted Jesus. It's only going to be good things. It's like an Olympian. You don't get up on those three platforms and then they like boo you. You're going to receive good things, right? You're going to receive a medal. Even if it's bronze, you got a medal, right? So that's the judgment seat Christians can look forward to because Christ's perfection has covered you. So now you're supposed to live a holy life because you're in a relationship with God. Why would you want to upset him? Why would you want to drive a wedge between you and God? And I have a theory. If you have, if you have no interest in living a holy life, but you call yourself a Christian, my thought is you got saved just for heaven. You got saved just to go to heaven. And by saved, I don't mean saved. I mean you prayed a prayer so you could get to heaven. And if that's what happened, you aren't saved. If all you did was pray a prayer to go to heaven, you are not saved. The, the way that you are saved is by believing in Christ and repenting, turning away from your sins, not just being a, a cyclical apology mode where you're just like, yep, sorry, messed up again. Sorry, that's on me. Sorry. But you keep doing it. Repent, turn away from it. That's what it means to be a believer. That's what it is to be a Christian. Please reevaluate your faith. Don't trust the fact that when you were uh, last last week, one of uh, one of the kids told me that when they were in children's church at the end of the time or whatever, the teacher said, would you like to go to heaven? And they're like, yeah. And she's like, okay, pray this prayer. I'm not, I'm not shaming anyone who's ever done that. I'm guilty of that in the past. I will never do that again because that is not the gospel. If you ask a three-year-old if they want to burn in hell forever, what do you think they're going to say? No, I don't want to do that. Okay, you say you want to go to heaven? Yeah, duh. Okay, how, how do you do it? Just pray a prayer. Okay, done. I'm saved now. 
That's so obvious. That's not the gospel. Giving your life fully to Christ because He is worthy of it. He is the Savior. And you leaving your flesh behind. That is what is required. 